This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. Hello, everybody. My name is Adam Ritz, and you are tuned in to The Adam Ritz Show. Jay Baker joining me on the telephone. Hey, Jay, how are you? I am having a great day. I hope you are, too. Having a good one, yeah. And uh, found an interesting story uh, over the weekend where some money was raised for charity to uh, help some cancer research going on in Ireland. Uh, This happened in the city of Listowel, Ireland, where they had a Dolly Parton lookalike gathering. And they were doing it to... Hopefully, beat the world Guinness World Record. Uh, how many Dolly Parton lookalikes do you think have gathered in one spot at what time? What is the current world record for Dolly Parton lookalikes? You know, if I just had to take a guess, I'd guess if there were 300 Dolly Parton lookalikes, you'd have a pretty amazing group. That's a great guess, Jay Baker. The uh, The current re- world record is 250. Ah, so I'm in the neighborhood. You are. You know a lot of useless junk. <laughs> I do. And That's why everybody wants me on their trivia. <laughs> so, so guess how many they gathered in Ireland here recently to break the world record? Uh, to break the world record, I'm going to guess they did had about 350. I'm going to guess they exploded the record. Okay. They did explode the record, but uh, you are way off, my friend. Oh, no. It is 1,100. Holy cow. Could you imagine? So we went from 200-plus to 1,100. I mean, think about these guys used every wig and fake fingernail in a 1,500-mile radius to pull this off. There were a lot of wigs, uh, and I tip my hat to the people in this gathering that didn't have to wear a wig. Uh, if you have, if you have that large, <laughs> that TV yeah. hair from the nineteen seventies, uh, blonde big hair, yeah. platinum blonde, big hair, you're halfway home to a Dolly Parton lookalike contest uh, already. So, congratulations to the eleven hundred people of Listowel, Ireland, who gathered in uh, in the name of charity and fun uh, and their love of Dolly Parton. Uh, we don't have an official world record yet. Uh, something I learned through researching this story is that Guinness takes several weeks to certify results from a world record. So I heard there's a lot to it. And I had also heard, too, that you have to have a designated person from Guinness actually present to help certify the results. Have you heard that part? I don't know about that part. I don't know if there was anybody on hand or if they just, you know, have enough video surveillance and footage and evidence that uh, a Guinness representative can look at this and go, yeah, that's way more than 250. Uh, That's a lot of Dolly Partons. You now have the world record. (laughs) But see, you need a specific number because, you know, technically, if you have 1,100 Dolly Parton lookalikes, if you have 1,101, you'd be technically breaking the record if it's not properly certified. Yeah, it needs to be properly certified so that we know when the record will be broken again. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Jay. And We're looking forward to that moment, aren't we? 
We are, and uh, and again, this was to raise ch- uh, money for chari- for uh, charities like Cancer Research in uh, in Ireland, and uh, there was a, a little sister story that went along with this uh, that is just the best little piece of Dolly Parton trivia, I-, I think, ever. That Dolly Parton herself once entered a Dolly Parton lookalike contest as a joke, right? Like she didn't tell anybody that she was r- really Dolly Parton, and she lost. <laughs> <laughs> I love stories like that. Isn't that great? Can you imagine entering oh, a Jay Baker lookalike contest and you can't even win that? No. You know, you come in top 10, but you didn't <laughs> win. <laughs> All right, Jay, what's happening when, in your world? Well, we have put together a show here where, as you are hearing this, we're sort of midsummer. We're off the 4th of July, so hopefully you and yours and your family pets all survived fireworks. You know, we always do urge safety. It's one of the more most highly visited weekends uh, at your local emergency department comes about because of 4th of July. So with sincerity, I do hope that everybody in your family is safe because it's odd that that is a literal dangerous time. It is, yeah. There was an apartment complex that caught on fire uh, near my house because of, uh, you know, 2 a.m. fireworks going off. I don't know if there was alcohol involved, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. And, uh, yeah, I echo your sentiments. Hopefully uh, you and your family are safe post-fireworks celebrations. Absolutely. Here's a note. Honda is recalling over 100,000 vehicles due to brake issues. This recall includes uh, recent model Civic, Ridgeline, Passport, Pilot, and Acura MDX vehicles. Um, as with always, the biggest concern, of course, is that uh, some type of defect with the vehicle could lead to a brake loss. Owners can have their vehicles inspected and repaired at a dealership free of charge. Letters will be sent out uh, within a couple of weeks to notify you that this might be an issue. So be looking in your mailbox if you own one of one of those cars. Brakes are not anything you want to take for granted, that's for sure. No, absolutely not. And you, I feel, I really feel for the auto manufacturers because many times what occurs is there will be a part that they are relying on uh, and the company that made that part uh, comes up with an obvious defect, lets the manufacturer know, and next thing you know, the manufacturer at their cost has to fix thousands of vehicles. Uh, so it's tough on the manufacturers, but they do it uh, to keep you safe, which mm-hmm. is great. I know, Adam, this is the time of year we all try to eat a little fresher, a little greener, a little more whole foods. But of interest, there's a company uh, called Working Group. They're a nonprofit environmental company. They make a list of foods that have the most pesticides on them. As you well know, you have to take all the produce that you get from your house. And without certain exceptions, you really need to properly wash and store produce. So there's an extra step. And they did uh, just this year uh, add blueberries to their list of foods that uh, may or may not be contaminated with pesticides by the time you get them to your house. 
that is uh, something that, you know, I've got a bowl of blueberries in my fridge right now, and I eat them by the handful as I just walk through the kitchen. Uh, yeah, you got to rinse those suckers off. Pesticides. Uh, so I'm assuming the the entire list here is uh, is just produce that uh, th- that is more susceptible to having the pesticides in it. Yeah, you have to just be more aware. The top two on their list uh, seems like uh, they keep coming up with the strawberries and spinach hold the top two spots on the list. As you know, unfortunately, in our country, we've had some famous uh, spinach food poisoning outbreaks, uh, and it all has to do with you know how foods are processed, how they are cultivated, how they are harvested. But I think it's really good to know because you don't think in terms, you know, you get that nice bag of spinach at your local grocery store. And, you know, cleaning produce is not simple, uh, but I, I do recommend there's a couple of YouTube videos that really underscore how uh, how straightforward it can be. Uh, on the list is kale, collard, and mustard greens, peaches, pears, nectarines, apples, grapes, bell peppers, hot peppers, cherries, blueberries, and green beans. So I know that's a lot of foods. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, uh, but do be aware you don't want to be ingesting pesticides. So if, if I have this correct, what you're saying is to bypass the produce and just go straight for the junk food. <laughs> what we're saying is switch back to highly processed foods and lots of them. You know, did you see the uh, story this week with the, the package of broccoli? Uh, no. I, I hate to name the store, but uh, because, it, uh, you know, obviously this, I don't think the store or the brand uh, meant for this to happen, or it's, it's certainly not w- a widespread panic happening. Uh, but a, a gentleman bought a bag of broccoli, put it in his fridge, and uh, two or three days later, he went to open the bag, and there was a snake in the bag. Oh, my. He took a picture. It went viral. I mean, you can Google it right now and look at this thing. It's a tiniest little snake as big as, you know, your finger, uh, big around as your finger. Maybe I think it was about 10 inches long. But, uh, yeah, that's not uh, something I want in my produce. I'd rather have pesticides. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, Here's a very interesting food item that has a great history behind it. Uh, It is a canned meat product called Spam. Not everybody's heard of Spam, but Spam is turning 86 years old this month. (laughs) I think the last Spam I ate was 85 years old. There you go. Uh, I I had no idea it had been around that long, but... uh... Yeah, I, I'm surprised to find out a lot of people don't know what it is. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's just you might see, uh, you know, the blue cans in the aisle of your grocery store, and it doesn't really connect because you probably grew up in a household that didn't uh, use spam or have relatives that use spam. But uh, according to Spam's website, their products are sold in 48 different countries. Yeah, but Hawaii is ranked number one in consumption uh, around the world. They sell over 7 million cans 
per year in Hawaii. That is insane to me. I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's a, it's, it, you know, it's like one of those, like, you know, like you said, fun facts. Why would this be? But Hawaii uh, got its love uh, for spam during World War II when the company shipped over 100 million pounds of spam to soldiers and sailors who were stationed in Hawaii. And now they cannot get enough of it. And ever since, they've just developed a taste for it. <laughs> they love it. Uh, spam used to come in a wonderfully dangerous can. I don't know uh, if you guys ever use Spam at your house, but it had a key that you popped off the top of the container it came in, and you actually unfurled a metal strip that separated the top of the can from the bottom of the can. And, of course, Everything in that operation was razor sharp. Oh, so you had to be so careful. I do remember those those cans the, with the key. Uh, yes, and you know they they've done a, a great job with current marketing campaigns. I've seen some commercials on television where they're frying up some spam with some rice and peas, uh -huh. and it actually and they put some soy teriyaki sauce maybe on it, and it looks pretty good. It does look pretty good. Now, the inventor was Jay Hormel, and yes, from the Hormel meatpacking family, uh, named the creation of combining the words spice and ham, and that's how Spam got its name. I figured the ham part, but I, I really didn't know what the SP could be. Yeah, the spice plus ham spice equals Spam. Ham. All right. And the last time I was in a grocery, it's it's been a while, but uh, you can get individual slices of Spam. So if you thought, hey, I want to try it, but I don't want to get the whole can, uh, there's your uh, pro tip from the Adam Rich Show. You, <laughs> where do you get an individual slice of Spam in a grocery store? Uh, right there in the meat aisle. Really? Yeah, there's a there's an actual aisle. This is you know this is what parts that I love about grocery stores, and this is the old traditional thing. Yet, have you ever shop like in a store that I always call them throwback stores, uh, where at the end of each aisle there's a list of everything in that aisle, because the modern stores assume you already know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, these throwback stores uh, invariably would have what was called a uh, oh, what's I, I'm trying to think of the exact word. It was a meat aisle, and it was for meats that were in cans or in other kinds of packaging so that they could be sold at room temperature. <laughs> so there you go. The meat aisle. The meat aisle. <laughs> the room temperature meat aisle. Okay, I'll there keep my eyes go. open for that. That's right. That when you are hungry and there is nothing that's going to satisfy you more than meat, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, every time I see one of these stories, Adam, it I don't know if it makes me mad or it makes me just want to get more people uh, to think on their feet or whatever, but uh, over 40% of Americans don't know why we celebrate the 4th of July. They did a survey of a thousand people across the country uh, by a company called OnePoll, and they asked people, "Did you know what Independence Day was?" And over half the respondents, uh, well, were had some very interesting responses. When asked those polled why we celebrate the Fourth of July, 
only 59% of people knew it was uh, to honor the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That is, I don't, I don't like hearing that either. I really well, don't. You know, it's disappointing. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. It's just funny sometimes. And I think part of it is there's enough stuff that happens in our world that we conflate things. You know, we forget, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, why do we celebrate, you know, why do we celebrate Memorial Day or Labor Day or Fourth of July? I think sometimes people get these things mixed up in their heads, or at least I hope that's what it is, is just simple mix up, because it does kind of speak of of some uh, not cultural literacy, but cultural Ill- illiteracy. I just feel like you could just take a guess if you didn't know, if you were one of the 40% that just had no idea why we celebrate Independence Day. Uh, you could just take a guess oh, <laughs> and, I know. and be pretty close to being right. Now, you'll love this. And another question, 45% of people guessed that the signing of the document took place in 1777 as opposed to 1776. I mean, if you're going to be that close, why not just be right? (laughs) Yes. How did they get the one year off? I don't know. I think, you know, it's another game, probably a list of numbers and, 1777 sounded kind of close. That's got a little ring it to it. It was 17 something, yeah. 1777. Yeah, that's got a ring yeah. to it, I guess. It would have made a great logo, absolutely. As for the phrase right to bear arms, 40% had no idea that it was part of the Second Amendment. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, man. Uh, meanwhile, only 11% of those surveyed knew that the phrase right to free speech was protected under the first amendment this is this is getting worse well it is that Uh, one's kind of bad that people don't understand the first amendment just because it's the first amendment you would kind of think that that would be one that you you know you would at least at one point sort of scan on the list of amendments (laughs) you know nobody'd be upset if you didn't know the ninth one yeah, yeah, but you, you know, it's you a big know, long list. You should know the first thing on the list. <laughs> yes. we're, we're the first to admit there's several amendments. Some of them don't seem as important, but the first one's kind of important and kind of right there, number one. So, uh, but uh, they said it wasn't all bad news. 82% of those who were asked knew that the president was referred to as the commander in chief. So that's good news. That that's you know trending in the right direction. Uh, I wonder you know what the other eighteen percent thought commander in chief referred to. Yeah, like uh, like you said, like commander in chief sounds pretty up there, you know, because you and I always laugh about you know the czar of everything. You would think, well, I'd at least guess president, you know. <laughs> Who is the? Yeah, what is what King is the, Charles is a king yeah okay there we, there we go the, he, he's pretty high up on the list the commander-in-chief who do you think that person is and 18 percent of americans said that's the guy that runs my fantasy football league commander-in-chief <laughs> is the commissioner of my fantasy league <laughs> that's strong stuff my friend uh, oh that's funny oh and the good news is most americans over 75 percent of americans 
know that the title of the national anthem is, Adam, this is part of your quiz. The Star Spangled Banner. You are correct, my friend. So and what you percentage am I in? American, you're in 75% of Americans that know indeed that is the title of our national anthem. All right, 75. That's, uh, that's, that's good. We'll take that. Your initial guess of Canada, oh, Canada, was incorrect, my friend. <laughs> Wrong song. <laughs> Wrong song. Wrong country. Uh, Toyota says it's made a huge breakthrough in battery technology for electric vehicles. Uh, kind of good news. As we know, electric vehicles, they sound good, but I think they do have a lot of limitations for people. And one of the limitations, I think, that loom for people with electric vehicles is they tend to be about 20% more expensive than regular cars. And we've talked on this show that regular cars are not cheap. No, they are super expensive. They have become very expensive. So they've become kind of cost prohibitive for a number of Americans. But Toyota says that it's found a way that they believe they can give a car a range of 745 miles on just a 10-minute charge. Ooh. That, now that sounds so that, like that's a, good. That's a pretty good deal. Now, hopefully yeah, these uh, closer to you know gas station convenience. You know, hopefully these uh, electronic cars are like CD players in the sense that they will drop in price dramatically. I mean, you can get a, a CD player in 1984 was was fifteen hundred dollars, and just uh, you know a decade later it was eighty four dollars. Yes, no, you're absolutely correct about that. In fact, uh, they're. Uh, they address this issue. They plan to manufacture uh, the new solid-state batteries as soon as the year 2027. So mark that on your calendar now. And so far, these types of batteries have been prohibitively expensive. But Toyota says they'll be able to slash the cost, size, and weight. And here's interesting. This is their words, not mine. I'm not sure I would have included this on the press release <laughs> But they're also going to address the fire risk issue. <laughs> so I'm not making fun of the car, but you're thinking, you know, this baby could burn up, you know. Oh, yeah. That's, just a little concern. Not a lot. Just a little they're concern. They're super expensive and they might catch on fire. But other than that, yeah. they're great. Other than that, we're, we're working on some stuff right now in the lab. So don't worry. We'll, uh, we'll fix it and edit. <laughs> <laughs> well, now here's something that, you know, I don't know what age you were when you saw either the Jetsons uh, cartoon characters or your science teacher assure you that this was going to be a thing. But the Federal Aviation Administration has apparently given their blessing and approved under experimental status the very first flying car. Uh-oh. Yes. That now now we're living in the future. There you go. That's we the are, future that we are all looking for. We were all to. promised flying cars and now they don't they don't have them. They've just uh, approved them. Yeah, apparently uh there's still some testing. Once again there's no mention of anything horrible yet. Is, is this part of the some testing? Is this part of the Honda recall? <laughs> The flying car you have just got recalled. Yeah, while your car is flying, the brakes might go on. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but they're, uh, 
remember this name, Aleph Aeronautics, A-L-E-F Aeronautics. They now have official permission to test run the vehicle on the road and in the sky. All right. Well, in this world of uh, UFOs and uh, all kinds of things flying around that cannot be identified, add uh, add a pickup truck to the list. Sure. Now, would you uh, would you be interested in a flying car if it, if one were available? Yeah, I don't. You know, probably not. I I, I don't. Uh, I'm at the point in my life where I take the back roads to work. I don't even want to get on the interstate. So I don't know if I want to <laughs> take my uh, DeLorean. Uh, you know, thirty what 30 stories above the ground to get to work no i'm not doing that (laughs) apparently once the car is released once tests go well these drivers flyers who want to get behind the wheel you've got to pay around three hundred thousand dollars to buy one speaking of expensive so that may limit the uh, overall market yeah, well, you know, then I might get one since there are only three hundred thousand. <laughs> there are only three hundred. Yeah. See now, now I got you tempted, don't I? Uh, apparently, the pre-orders are being taken as we speak. With one hundred and fifty dollars, you can get into the queue to buy one, and fifteen hundred dollars will get you into the priority queue. So there you go. You can put yourself on the front line of getting a flying car for the low, low price of $1,500. Now, we do scam alerts a lot on this show. Is it, This sounds like a scam alert to me. You're telling me for just $1,500 I could get my name on a list to get a flying car? <laughs> sounds sketchy. Are you, are you a prince in Nigeria? <laughs> Later, when asked, yes, it seems suspicious to me, said Wally Johnson from his home. <laughs> In Johnson City. Yeah. uh, You know, I'm not saying this is seamless. I'm just telling you it's been approved. (laughs) (laughs) Your results may vary. I'm not telling you to buy one. I'm just saying it's been approved. I'm just saying if you've been interested in one in the past, apparently one is going to come onto the market at some point. At some point. Okay. At some point. Americans are feeling some stress. And apparently it's affecting our waistline. Nearly half of Americans have gained around 17 pounds just because of stress. And many people who sort of uh, have stress in their life feel that they'll never be stress-free again. That that would be great to never be stressed again. Well, I'll pay $1,500 for that. Yeah, we've always talked about that. You know, it's... And everybody obviously processes stress a little bit differently, uh, but this is a study that found most are worried uh, in life either about their general health, the amount of money they make, or their actual job. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a so lot to you, be stressed about. Yeah, you can be stressed about your job. 50% of people over 30 said they feel like they live a, a more unhealthy life as a result of stress. Uh, and on average, people say they experience feelings of stress uh, three days per week. Mm. Well, you know, that leaves you with a four-day weekend. So that's a, that's a nice way to get stress-free all of a sudden. Yeah, I think if everybody had a four-day weekend every week, uh, but that's a, that's a, a topic for another show. Can you imagine? 
Hey, boss, I got a great idea. Oh. People are feeling a little stressed. Here's my game plan. Someone will propose that uh, very soon. In, in a, it begins with us getting Wednesday off. <laughs> we, yeah, let's. Well, I don't want. I don't. I don't want a day off in the middle of the week. <laughs> no, <laughs> have to go back to work. Uh, but yeah, four day weekend. Uh, certainly a great way to live a little more stress free of a lifestyle. Uh, and would you take that bet? I mean, would you take those odds? Would you say I'll take three days of of straight stress if I can have four days off for a four day weekend? Give me as much stress as you can for three days. Would you take that, or would you rather boy, have just a comfortable job for five days? Yeah, boy, I'm not sure I'd take that because I'm with you. If you feel genuinely stressed, uh, it's not a comfortable feeling. It isn't. No, you feel like you're drowning. Yeah, it's a tough one. Now, here's a guy that's probably not feeling as much stress. Uh, we've all flown in and out of Las Vegas. I'm not saying all of us, but... A number of us have, and you probably have noticed they have slot machines in the airport. What would be the chances, Adam, of one of those slot machines in the airport actually paying a significant amount of money? I, what would be the I chances? I think those chances are so low, and you're telling me somebody hit a big jackpot in the Las Vegas yeah, airport? Hard to believe, but a very lucky traveler won a $1.3 million <sighs> jackpot on an airport slot machine. Uh, as he was leaving Las Vegas. I'm glad he was leaving, because if he just landed, that money is gone. It is. <laughs> All right, Jay Baker, thank you so much. Uh, for our listeners, you can listen to this show uh, and any of our previous shows in podcast form on our website, adamritzshow.com. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live in studio at the Vibonomics Worldwide Headquarters. Learn more about the Vibonomics Audio Out-of-Home Marketplace at vibonomics.com. For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit adamritzshow.com.